The Bible reading this evening is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, at the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I would find it a great help if you want to keep your Bibles open. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have closed them and you've got one of the church Bibles, I think that's on page 1014. But with God's word open, let's pray. Uh, the Bible is God's book. Um, he wrote it. It is a book that is uh, readable, um, it is reliable, and it's very relevant. So whether you are here tonight as a person of faith or whether you have come, maybe you've been invited by one of the families and you're trying to work out some of the big answers to some of the biggest questions in life. Uh, this book has what you need as it teaches us about Jesus. So let's have our Bibles open. Let's pray uh, for the help of God's Spirit to understand God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you that it is written for us in a language we can understand. Help us to be attentive tonight and help us to see much of Jesus. Help our hearts to burn with passion as we consider our future so that we can live rightly before we see Jesus face to face. Uh, we pray all this for the glory of his name. Amen. 
Let me start by asking you a question. Where is your home? Okay, at first sight, it appears to be a very simple question, maybe on the same level as me asking you to calculate one plus one. Don't worry, nobody's going to ask you to do that uh, tonight, so you're pretty safe. But when you dig a little deeper, uh, we discover that the answer to the question, where is your home, is a little bit more complicated. See, a simple question, if I were to ask you that, would have been this, where were you born? Or where do you live? But where is your home is different. Home is about where you belong. Home is about where we fit in. Home is, well, a place for which we understand. Home is the place that we love to be. Now, for some people, their home, that place they long to be, is identical with their place of birth. For some people, their home is identical to where they currently live. But for many other people, particularly in our global village, uh, this really is not the case at all. I was born, if you're trying to work out my mongrelized weird accent, um, I was born in Scotland uh, back uh, in the end of the 70s. I was born in a Scottish town called Belsill, uh, which most of you have never heard of, I guess. And then I spent my first 17 years in another place that most of you have never heard of called Wishaw, or Wishy as we called it. It had uh, two famous things that happened. We had an E. coli outbreak in 1996. <laughs> And then we have a famous snooker player called John Higgins, and that was, that was it. But I would never dream of calling any of these places my home. I left Scotland in 1996 as an arrogant uh, non-Christian on my way to university in London, and I've spent all my years ever since in England. Which means that when I visit Scotland, and this is genuine for me, even when I've got my tartan trousers on, I feel like a stranger. Uh, what about you? Uh, where do you belong? Where is your home? Or maybe let me ask you a slightly different question. Where should your home be? If we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not assuming that everybody listening is, but you can listen into this. If we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, which postcode should make our heart leap for joy? Uh, we'll listen to what we are told in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now this uh, biblical letter is written to Christians, Christians who are scattered across many places and provinces in the ancient Roman world. But please notice what Peter actually calls them. Do you see it? He doesn't call them Christians. He doesn't call them followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even call them disciples. What does he call them? He calls them elect exarchs. Now, those two words are highly significant if we are to rightly position our hearts towards our future home. So I want to explain them one at a time. Okay, first of all, let's consider what does it mean to be God's exarchs? Now, 1 Peter, this letter in front of us, was originally written in a language called Greek. 
And the word that appears in our English Bibles as the word exiles can, in fact, be translated in different ways. For example, you can uh, translate it. It's perfectly legitimate to translate the original Greek word either as aliens, strangers, or even refugees. And I think that's really helpful to know because taken together, all of those words, aliens, strangers, refugees, taken together, they communicate the predicament of what it is like to be in a place that seems foreign, to be in a place where you don't fit in. In short, a place that isn't home. But I think my favorite translation is still the word exiles. And I've got two reasons why I love that translation, exiles. So uh, note these. First of all, because the word exiles is just there in the Old Testament, isn't it? It has Old Testament roots. Many of you will know that God's people, before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, were taken out of their land of promise and into the nation of Babylon. And they were known as God's exiles. And so therefore, when you open up your Bibles at 1 Peter and see that Christians are referred to as exiles, well, we are being reminded straight here that our little story is part of God's bigger story. Don't you find it is so easy in this world, in our modern world, to feel rootless? Uh, to feel that your life is just paper thin. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow, and then you are forgotten. But for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a different story. We are part, our little lives, when we trust in Christ, are part of that big story that snakes its way all through history and which will continue forever. So if you're a Christian and you feel pretty rootless, just allow that word exiles to connect you to God's story. Brothers and sisters, those of you who were confirmed tonight, be encouraged. You are part of something that is bigger and something that is beautiful. But the second reason I love the word exiles as a translation is because of what it actually means in the Old Testament. So not just because it appears in the Old Testament, but because when you dig in, what does it actually mean? Well, we know from the Bible that the Jewish people were exiles in Babylon. Well, what is that all about? Well, yes, they were strangers. They were, they were far away from their country. They didn't fit in. Yes, they were foreigners who felt they didn't belong. And yes, they were far away from all the places that they knew as home. But to be an exile in the Old Testament, yes, meant all of that, but it meant much more than that. Because at its core, to be an exile meant, well, to be a people far away from God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God was certainly with his people in Babylon. However, in exile, his people were far away from a particular place. They were far away from the temple in Jerusalem. And remember, the temple in Jerusalem was that place that the God of heaven said that I will dwell here amongst you in a particularly special way. So the people of God, as they were exiled, yes, they were strangers, yes, they were foreigners, but they were far away from this place, far away from the place that God said, I will dwell with you in an especially beautiful way. So when we open up our Bibles in 1 Peter and we hear this word, exile, to be a Christian is to be an exile. So what does it mean? It means to be far away from our true home 
with God. To be distant from the place where our loving God dwells in a glorious way. In short, what does it mean to be an exile as a Christian? It means to be far away from the heavenly Jerusalem that exists beyond the skies where God is in all his glorious beauty. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that if you are a Christian, the Christian life lived properly will feel odd. (laughs) Now, some Christians are just odd. We know that. (laughs) But for all Christians, to live for Christ will feel odd. We won't feel comfortable with what is happening around us. We will stand out from the crowd, and frequently our beliefs and our behavior will just seem bizarre to our friends and families and our colleagues and neighbors. And sometimes, and you can feel the change in the season, the spiritual temperature, there is a chill in the air because we're not only seen as bizarre, more and more we're seen as dangerous. Now, let me say this to you. If you are a Christian and you do not feel ill at ease living in this spiritual Babylon, well, that is another conversation entirely. But for today, let me just assume that you do feel the tension. You feel the tension as you live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the secular Western world. I want to say to you, if you feel odd, if you don't feel you belong, and for you lot who got confirmed tonight, if that is how you feel at school, good. It's normal. It's normal. We are exiles. We aren't home with God. We are pilgrims walking through this foreign land. We have a growing number of Uh, people in my church family back in Scarborough um, who are from Nigeria. And it's been a wonderful delight to see God grow our church in number and in diversity. Let me say something about the Nigerians who have joined us in Scarborough. It is not the same as living in Africa. (laughs) Uh, Many of them have arrived in Scarborough in the winter. And I really feel for them. Uh, The temperature is different. The accents are different. The clothes are different, and the food is uneatable. (laughs) You ask any of them, and they will tell you we feel like foreigners in a strange land without sunshine and warmth. But they're not the only foreigners in our church. Uh, The truth is, we all are. Every single person in our church family in Scarborough, every single person in this church family who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has changed their eternal citizenship. Our true government, our true values come from the lips and the life of our heavenly Lord Jesus Christ. And they are a contradiction to the values and the priorities of the people around us. And because of all of this, uh, we will feel that we don't belong. My brothers and sisters, we are destined for a distant place, and right now, we are far from home. Now, I'm sure you know what happens is what the foreigners normally do to help them survive in a strange land. Well, they find other people, don't they, from their place, other people who feel the same, who will cheer them up, encourage them on, and remind them of home. And we need this as Christians. We need to gather together with other exiles to help us as we get on the journey home. Or if I put it like this, Solo Christianity is an insult to the revealed plan of God, and it is a disaster for our spiritual pilgrimage. We need each other to make it whole. So here's one of the critical questions. How does God want us to live in our 
exile. The world around us, it might seem threatening to you. It might be disorientating to you. But what does that mean for us? Do we need to run to the hills, build our gospel defenses, keep ourselves distant from everybody else? Or is it possible to advance with courage, confidence, confident that no harm will come to the precious people of God or maybe something else entirely? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter outlines our godly strategy uh, for our pilgrimage home. And do you know what he says? Three things. On the way home, Christians are to rejoice, we are to resist, and we are to rescue. Uh, first of all, we are to rejoice. Look at verse 3. Uh, Blessed be, or praise be, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Don't know how easy you find it to praise God. I suspect uh, many of us find it easier to do something else. Instead of actively, passionately celebrating what God has done, our temptation is either to complain, critique, or question what God is doing. But when we forget or when we find it hard to rejoice and praise God, it's either because we have forgotten who God is and what he has done for us, or we have never been told in the first place. And so therefore, in both counts, what we need is knowledge. Either we need to be reminded of who God is, reminded of what he is doing in our lives, or we have to be told. And so therefore we can pray. So Peter gives us, did you notice, three reasons why we should rejoice in our exile. First, God has given us new birth. Praise the Lord. Being a Christian is not an ordinary thing. Being a Christian is not like remaining fundamentally the same but adding a few extra rules and rituals. No, being a Christian is someone who has experienced the powerful intervention of God. So when you all stood tonight and said your promises, do you understand and realize that that isn't because you kind of woke up in the morning and thought, hmm, I think I might like to follow Jesus. It is because the powerful God who loves you has been working in your heart to give you new birth. God must perform a spiritual miracle in dead hearts. And so therefore, if you are a Christian tonight, what a reason to rejoice that God has given us new birth. Second, God has given us a living hope. It's an interesting phrase, that isn't isn't it? The phrase is similar to what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, when he says this, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house notice it living hope in chapter one living stone in chapter two it's interesting he means in chapter two clearly the living stone is Jesus what do you think he might mean by living hope I think he means Jesus as well God has given us Jesus And in Jesus Christ, we have a certainty, a hope that will never disappoint us. What a gift of God the Father that he has given us Jesus. So we rejoice. And what else? He's given us a great inheritance. 
We know that earthly inheritance vary in value, they vary in significance. How even the best and the richest inheritances, will they degrade? The expensive collection of wine, if you've got that in your cellar, that will eventually turn to vinegar. Uh, That priceless painting fades in the sunlight. But here's the wonderful truth. God's inheritance for his people is marvelous. And it will never perish. It will never spoil. And it will never fade. Do you understand that what God has prepared for us in the future is truly mind-blowing? Absolutely. So let's make sure that on the way home, we are exiles who rejoice. Second, we are to resist. Now listen again to verse 6. In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though detested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter mentions being grieved by various trials. And many of these trials come because we resist the toxic world around us. When we decide not to conform to what the world wants, when we decide not to dance to the world's tune, as a result of that stand and that pushback against the world, we often suffer trials of various kinds. But did you see how Peter describes the duration of the pain? And I don't say this glibly because some of you may be suffering big time. Peter says, for a little while. For a little while. Why does he say that? Because in the light of eternity, and eternity is a very long time, (laughs) in the light of eternity, this earthly life will seem like the blink of an eye. So my brothers and sisters, Rejoice, resist for a little while because eternity is worth it. But not just resist, not just rejoice. Third, we are to be people who rescue others. Do you see that in verse 10? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and its subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that now have been, listen, announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit of God. I was struck by the truth that there was somebody who brought the gospel to Paul's readers. These readers weren't always Christians. They were once lost. They were once part of the toxic sea. However, at some point, some courageous believers came with the good news of Jesus Christ, told them about his death and resurrection. And do you know what happened? They changed. And they put their faith in Christ too. Isn't that a vital truth for us to remember? As pilgrims on the way home, yes, we are to rejoice. Yes, we are to resist, but we are not to cut ourselves off from desperate sinners. Our task, with God's help, is to rescue them, to hold out the gospel so that many more people will join us on our journey home. 
We are God's exiles. But as I finish, let me say something very briefly about that other word. We are God's elect exiles. Notice that Peter doesn't just say we are exiles. He says we are elect exiles. Let me tell you why. Remember the dramatic scenes in the summer of 2021 from Afghanistan? Uh, We watched them, many of us on our TV screens. Uh, The Taliban had swept to power, and uh, many countries had their citizens in a desperate situation. So over a period of weeks, uh, governments from around the world started this massive evacuation of their citizens. Uh, They poured all the resources that they could, desperately trying to get people out of that area. But here's the sad reality. Even the strongest nations in the world couldn't do what they wanted to do. Again and again, we heard the same devastating comment. We couldn't get everyone out. We tried our best. We threw our resources, but we couldn't get everyone out. We couldn't do what we wanted. Now, let me tell you something. It's not like that with God. God will get his children home. And we can be sure of that because we aren't just exiles, we are his elect exiles. We are the ones chosen by God, we are the people known by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that means the very reason that we are Christians in the first place is because God has intervened in our lives. And the Bible assures us that the God who has started a good work, well, he will continue it until the day of completion. To my fellow pilgrims, to those who were confirmed, to all of us, assuming that that is what you are, and if you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, what a church to find out more. Uh, What a Jesus that you have to follow. But if you're a pilgrim, as we seek to rejoice, as we seek to resist, and as we seek to rescue, let us also be reassured. Our tension is normal. You're an exile but your destiny is secure. And that is because God is at work in your life and he began it and he will finish it for the glory of Christ. Amen.